Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So we're back, another year, another Davos. We're walking along the promenade here and people are beginning to come into Davos and hear some of the cars there. Most people though are coming by train or helicopter. We did see one of those uh, earlier today. Welcome to Davos Confidential, our daily podcast coming to you from the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. I'm Suzanne Lynch, Politico's Chief Brussels Correspondent, and our team has made it to the top of the magic mountain, as Davos is widely known. And we're ready to bring you discussions with top-level CEOs, government officials, and a host of other participants at this week's gathering. Our political team will give our take on the big global challenges facing these leaders as they gather here over the coming few days. Later in this episode, Richard Edelman, CEO of the global communications firm Edelman, breaks down his company's flagship survey about trust in institutions. We need business and government to work together. By four to one, people tell us in our study that they prefer business and government together than business alone or government alone, working on these issues. But first, let's begin with Davos itself. So what is the point of this annual meeting of the world's elite? And what issues can we expect to dominate over the coming days? I'm joined by our expert panel from across political newsrooms. We have beside me Ryan Heath, Editorial Director. Hi, Suzanne. Erin Banco, US National Security Reporter. Hi. And Alex Ward, also our US National Security Reporter based in DC. Hey. So we've got a good mixture here of old hands and new faces at Davos. So I'm going to go to you, Ryan, first. We have covered Davos together for many years. Um, so I think you're a good place to start. What is the point of the World Economic Forum? What is the point of Davos? Well, for many people, it's about deal making. This is the biggest gathering of billionaires and CEOs on the planet. And they like to have access to political leaders who also want to help frame what their agenda is going to be for the year ahead. So that's why it takes place in January. And that's why you get this mingling of the political and the corporate. And it's an extremely personality-driven organization. A man called Klaus Schwab, who's about to turn 85, 
set this up in 1971, and he's been running the show with firm control ever since. So as we're recording this, we've just arrived here in this, I mean, Davos is a very small town in the Swiss Alps, but for this week, it transforms into this kind of networking zone. And we see little pop-up shops and different centres all along the promenade, which is the main street. And then there's a a very secure Congress centre where most of the action takes place. But it's not just in that Congress centre. Isn't that right, Ryan? That's right. Davos is VVIP central, but there is also now a whole crowd of people who are the hangers-on, who are trying to influence the VVIPs. So a lot of the most interesting programming actually happens in other smaller spaces, the people who aren't invited onto the main stage or who reject the concept of the World Economic Forum and want to create their own kind of counter-Davos. And they're here as well banging their drums. So yeah, we always have people from civic society, people campaigning maybe on climate change, on social justice. And actually on that point, Alex, you're, this is your first Davos and you saw some of this uh, climate protesting uh, happening on your way in. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was in full tourist mode on the train ride up. And then at one point you saw a bunch of climate protesters just start throwing snowballs at the private cars that were making their way. (laughs) There's so many private cars that there's actually just a traffic jam on the way up as it winds this mountain, which makes perfect targets, (laughs) right? Uh, I mean, there were some pretty bad throws out there, but they still hit at least something. Interesting. I mean, one of the other issues is the question of who is here and who is not. We've been going through the list of participants and trying to spot who's not here. I mean, the absences do say something. Aaron, maybe you'd speak a bit to this. I mean, there's been a bit of a change in what we would have seen a, a few years ago here. Yeah, so this is the second event in a row that the Russian delegation is not in attendance. So typically you would see Russian oligarchs, Russian officials, particularly Russians who run the financial institutions in Moscow here on the mountain trying to make deals. This has been particularly important for the Russians since U.S. and European sanctions went into place the first round under Obama, and then now we see new sanctions in place post-invasion of Ukraine, which, you know, is the whole reason why the Russians aren't here at this event. Mm. Uh, But some of the most famous figures that you'd see here from Moscow, you know, include Kirill Dmitriev, who is the head of the RDIF, which is Russia's or one of Russia's major sovereign wealth funds. And he's always here on the mountain on CNBC almost every day trying to convince other countries to bring foreign investment into the country. And so, yeah, they're no longer here and that deal making is no longer taking place. Yeah, interesting. I mean, what about the on the more the global leader front, Ryan? Quite a few absences this year. Absolutely. Of the G7 leaders, there's only one here, Olaf Scholz from Germany, and he was the top star last year as well. So that's getting a bit rote when you've got to pull out the same rabbit out of the hat two years in a row. Mm. You don't have any Biden, you don't have any Xi, Putin, for obvious reasons, isn't here. And WEF itself will throw back the message that there are more CEOs than ever. There are around 200 cabinet ministers. So it's not nobody coming to the mountain, but it's just not the ones with the real star billing. And Volodymyr Zelensky from Ukraine, He'll give another one of those video addresses that he gives so often now, but he won't be here either. He won't be. I mean, one of the issues, of course, for Davos that's been growing in recent years has been the fact that this could be seen as politically toxic for a lot of leaders. Uh, So there's probably a good reason why uh, figures like Macron, even Rishi Sunak, you know, Mr. Finance, the British Prime Minister, has chosen to stay away. Alex, what about on the US side? Uh, What kind of figures are we expecting from Washington? 
Uh, it's quite a large CODEL congressional delegation, probably headed by, I would say, Chris Coons, senator from Delaware, who has Biden's ear. You know, one aspect of Biden's agenda that oddly gets overlooked, of course, there's Ukraine and, and China, etc., is this sort of refashioning of the global economic system to America's advantage. And so that is interesting to have Coons and other people like Joe Manchin here and House members, among many others, to talk with CEOs, to talk with ministers of other countries, to think about how, you know, U.S. economic practices, foreign investment, mm. etc., could help that Biden agenda. So turning to what some of the big teams are this week in Davos. Now, there's always an official team at the World Economic Forum. Here's Klaus Schwab, the foreman's chairman, in a press conference ahead of this year's World Economic Forum. The theme of our meeting in Davos is cooperation in a fragmented world. One of the root causes of this fragmentation is actually a lack of cooperation. This in turn increases fragmentation in society and leads even more to short-term and self-serving policymaking. It's a truly vicious circle. So that's what the World Economic Forum is thinking about. Turning to our panel, what are really some of the issues you feel may come up this year? Aaron, you already spoke about Russia. Ukraine is obviously going to be a big focus here this week. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot going on this week in particular as it relates to weapons. So this week we have the meeting of several defense ministers at the Ramstein base in Germany, where they will be discussing what new advanced weapons to send to Ukraine. I imagine that conversation will leak over here to the stage in Davos. I think we're at a really crucial moment in the war where the U.S. and their European allies really need to make a decision about how much longer they will continue to support Ukraine with weapons. So far, that alliance has stayed relatively strong. The question is whether we'll get any new details from U.S. and European leaders about how far they're willing to go with that support. And of course, a key figure here will be German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. He holds a key to a lot of this. So it's interesting, as Ryan was saying, that he is you know, the big European leader uh, who is here. Although we do have to mention there are other EU leaders here, like Sanchez from Spain, the Irish Prime Minister as well. There are other leaders, but just as you said, Ryan, there just not a lot of G7 leaders. What other themes, Ryan, um, do you expect to see coming to the fore this week at Davos? I think protectionism is a big one. And there are lots of labels you can sort of attach to that as well. Industrial policy, the question around economic Cold War, a decoupling from China. I think it's really interesting that you can't really have some kind of US-China deal out of any of the members of the delegation from those two countries here. And that would be like the absolute top prize for WEF when it was sitting down brainstorming what would we love out of the forum in 2023. I think that is just a big problem. You're not seeing the US involved in any active negotiation of trade agreements at the moment. So it doesn't mean they don't have a trade policy. It's just completely different to the one that WEF imagined was the point of globalization as it developed over these decades. Which has been the symbol of Davos for so long, globalization. On the corporate world, One thing we remember, we were here, Ryan, just, what, eight months ago in May, and I can remember there was so much about crypto, how things can change. (laughs) I mean, we're eight months later and we've had collapsing companies, collapsing exchanges. I mean, that's going to be different. And indeed, tech, there's been a, a retrenchment in tech. You know, we've seen Salesforce, for example, one of the big players here at Davos, Dave Slash staff. We obviously had the ownership issue over Twitter and the 
shedding of jobs there. So, I mean, where do you think the whole tech and crypto world, do you think that's going to be a theme this week? I think we're just going to have to do some good old shoe leather reporting across the promenade this week because the crypto folks are still there. Meta was rumoured to not have its pavilion this year and it's back in force as well. And so we'll have to find out what the mood really is. Thank you all so much for that really interesting stuff. We'll be coming back to that throughout the week with our daily podcast. And we'll be hearing more from our panel at the end of this podcast to get some fun tips from Ryan, our Davos veteran, on how to survive it up here on the Magic Mountain. So stick around for that. Now, Ryan, you sat down with Richard Edelman, ahead of WEF, as it's called for short. Tell us more about that. The Trust Barometer is one of the real institutions here in Davos, and There are some fascinating figures this year about just how much uh, business leaders are being trusted compared to government. And that, I think, might be setting those leaders up for a fall. Great. Thanks for that, Ryan. That conversation will be coming to you right after this short message. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Richard Edelman, you are the face and the brains at Edelman behind one of the real institutions of the World Economic Forum annual meeting, which is the Edelman Trust Barometer. And this year, we are learning that business has a staggering 54-point lead over government in how publics rate the competence of those two institutions. There are big ethics problems as well when it comes to the government. Can you tell us a little bit more about those numbers and the trend line behind them? So I think that uh, government had its best moment uh, at the height of the pandemic when everybody trusted government to solve the problem, had the biggest cannon, um, had the money, had the will, had the backing of the people, and government is perceived to have failed. And the next big institution to step into the void has been business. You know, business conducted itself really well during the pandemic, uh, came up with vaccines, kept people working in a safe condition, PPE, et cetera, then went on to manage through the George Floyd uh, murder. A judge in the U.S. city of Minneapolis has sentenced the former police officer Derek Chauvin to 22 and a half years in jail for the murder of George Floyd. The 46-year-old African-American died in May last year after Chauvin knelt on his neck for more than nine minutes during an arrest. And focusing on diversity. And then most recently, business 
has acted in the wake of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and over a thousand companies got out of uh, Russia. So business has had a great run. And in particular, the rise of, of being ethical at the same level of NGOs is stunning. And do you see that this will bleed into issues, two issues in particular, climate and the upholding of democratic institutions or democracy at large? And the reason I ask that is we've obviously seen a massive rise in the number of net zero commitments, but it hasn't been matched yet by delivery towards them or even agreement on how you measure our people meeting these promises. So climate's a huge bucket for corporate accountability. And then there's this tension where some CEOs know that their ability to have a profitable business depends on a functioning rules-based system, but they don't want to get too involved in politics, so they're not really sure how to get involved in defending that system. Where do you see the accountability headed there? Ryan, I think particularly in the United States, there's been a kind of rethinking since uh, DeSantis attacked Disney. The governor angry at Disney's opposition to the state's controversial new parental rights and education legislation, also known as the Don't Say Gay law. It bans classroom discussion on sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten through third grade. In a statement, Disney says our goal as a company is for this law to be repealed in the legislature or struck down in the courts. I hope that the Trust Barometer 23 data gives strength to the CEOs who recognize that business is still expected to stand up on societal issues. Not every issue, but on certain ones from sustainability, diversity and inclusion, wages and reskilling, um, on certain aspects of geopolitics like Russia. You've got to stand up because two-thirds of employees say, I'm only going to work for a company whose values are cliven to mine. Similarly, 60 plus percent of consumers are belief driven buyers. So, you know, you've got two big constituents um, saying, I want you as CEO to speak up. 85% say they want CEOs to stand up and speak up publicly. So the smart company decides which issues it should stand up on, where it's got areas of competitive advantage and knowledge and ability, and not take on every issue. Next topic, which is clearly on everyone's minds here in Davos, is are we going into a recession? What happened to economic optimism? And your data is showing that that's just collapsed everywhere, that rich countries, people think their kids are going to be worse off than they are. What do you think that is telling us? Is this sort of a blip related to Russia and crypto? Or is this some big generational trend that we're now seeing that is going to take a long time to turn around? I think the decline in economic optimism has a lot to do with Inflation, cost of living, down is a, a sort of sense of the elites are fine, but the lowest 25% uh, don't have trust in institutions. And there's a, a real uh, crisis of confidence about the future because we've gone from kind of societal level issues to personal issues. And heat or eat is a phrase I've heard out of the UK. That's just not okay. <laughs> and so I think right now governments are being blamed for this, but as a recession starts to happen, you know, business is going to be in the line of fire. And what we really need to do is make sure that business focuses on restoring economic optimism, because there's a direct link between not only economic performance, but also expectations of economic performance in the next five years. And does that 
tie back at some level to this battle for truth that you also speak about in that if we are becoming more ideological or attaching ideology into our identities and sort of one side you could tell (laughs) the sky is blue and they're just not going to believe you anymore, that sort of thing. Is it that the CEOs and the corporations now are the main vehicle where you can find some common ground, where you can develop some reasonable levels of trust? Is that part of the antidote to all this political polarization? Well, I think it's fascinating that trust has become local and that trust is in my employer at 77% versus business at 60 and, and, and government at 50. And so there's big expectation of my CEO. The most credible source of information is my company's newsletter. And again, because it's seen as apolitical. So it is urgent that we get quality facts to people so that they feel as if they are informed enough to make decisions. And I think one of the great consequences of the pandemic has been the devolution of uh, regard for experts, a continued decline in trust in uh, mainstream media because it's seen as politicized. And so one of the big jobs for business in the next year has to be to use its bully pulpit to its employees to give them high quality facts and also to take money away from those platforms that are breeding disinformation. Business has a responsibility to be the sort of policeman of quality information. One other point on business responsibility that you make in the report is that businesses could benefit from working with rather than against governments. Sort of what does that look like? Is that investment in skills? Is it supporting new regulations? What sort of working with would you like to see or or you will advise your clients to do? Well, I think geopolitics, for example, companies are going to get picked off individually if they don't act collectively with government support um, on trade policy. Uh, Similarly, I remember, you know, even in May in Davos, uh, talking to people about crypto and The crypto bulls were like, we don't need regulation. Everything's going great. Well, how did that work out? Not great, let me just say. So we need business and government to work together. By four to one, people tell us in our study that they prefer business and government together than business alone or government alone working on these issues. That is a pretty clear number. Richard Edelman, thank you so much for joining us on Davos Confidential. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks again to Ryan for bringing us that discussion. Now, before we go, our podcast panel is back and we're going to discuss some top tips for surviving Davos. Again, Ryan, I'm going to turn to you, veteran Davos goer. I can add in a few things here myself, but um, look, what would you say to people who have never been to Davos before? You need good coffee. So do whatever the Palantir folks want (laughs) to allow access to their pavilion. They're one of the people who offer free coffee throughout the week. Oh, they have hands down have the best coffee. Okay, good tip, good tip. But don't take the Saudi ice cream. And I think I saw Emirati hot chocolate at one of the uh, promenade stalls that's been assembled now as we record this. Uh, So, yeah, you see all these different countries vying for kind of publicity, different companies vying for publicity. And it's, it's kind of fun to stick your head into each of the forums, each of the pavilions. But yeah, have a kind of a a good sense of journalistic caution, I think it would be fair to say. Erin, this is your first time here. What are you looking forward to? Well, first of all, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how big the conference is itself and the fact that the promenade, basically all the shops have been turned into big installations for each company. 
I think the key for any reporter here is going to be just staying caffeinated, like Ryan said, but also um, just trying to meet as many people as I can. I think this is truly a unique experience for anyone who gets to come here. And the amount of people here that you, you get to meet is just unparalleled from any other conference I've ever been to. I know. And of course, a lot of what goes on here is social and, and we don't get to go to these things. So that we've, you know, there are parties and chalets up the mountains and in the pecking, in the hierarchy of Davos journalists, we are here, but we're kind of at the bottom rung, really. So it's this kind of strange sense that we're cheek and jowl beside some of these big leaders. So you get this great access, but a lot of the a lot of the deal making, a lot of the conversation actually happens in these private parties. So my tip would be to try and get into as many of those as you can. Alex, what about you? I mean we need to talk about the weather. I guess I came thinking everyone would have this sort of joyous feeling, you know, it's it's this big event, it's, it's you know, annual massive thing. And and everyone's kind of dour outside. And I think that's just because it's snowing, it's dark, it's cloudy. You know, you can't get as, as good a view when you come up the train up the Magic Mountain. I'd never heard that phrase before. Mm. That's how new I am. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping that things will liven up down the line. I appreciate the caffeination tip. I don't drink coffee, but I will drink my weight in Orange Fanta for sure. Okay. And we're going to have to buy some laundry powder for Alex because I have got backpacks that are bigger than his piece of luggage. So I've got a feeling he's going to be working through those trousers and those underwear by the end of the week (laughs) i have enough for every day what now i will say though that people might be thinking about the glitz and glamour of all this if only they knew you were like huddled in the back corner of like a dining room and we got bunk beds for later or to sleep it's gonna be great and ryan may want laundry detergent for me but we might need to find him a bag chauffeur because he needed me to help him carry bags (laughs) all up and down the airport and the trains so, you know, uh, if we could get someone, even with our lowly status, Ryan would appreciate it. Ryan's so high maintenance. Anyway, thank you for your insights on this first day of the World Economic Forum. Hopefully we'll still be alive to tell the tale at the end of the week. So thanks a million for joining me, Ryan, Aaron, Alex. And we'll be joined by other political colleagues throughout the week. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our Davos Confidential podcast. You can do that by searching for our EU Confidential podcast wherever you're listening, or you can find us through Ryan's Global Insider podcast feed. I'm Suzanne Lynch. Thanks to our executive producer on the ground here, Christina Gonzalez. And we'll be back again tomorrow as the forum gets underway. See you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.